All right, so this morning, we're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to go through half of verse 11. Um, But before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, and pray that you would teach us as we come to Ruth 4 and look at redemption. Grant us faith. Open our eyes. Amen. So, no need to answer in front of everyone, but uh, just to get us thinking a little bit, hopefully. Have you ever had a um, had something you've looked forward to that you thought would make you happy? And then, you find out it really wasn't worth hoping for. Now, like I said, you don't need to answer, but I've done that uh, more than a time or two, probably. Um, so today we're going to look at this transaction at the gate with between Boaz and the Redeemer, the other kinsman. And we're going to look at them in terms of contrast. So we're going to contrast two Redeemers and two inheritances. Um, and then we're going to talk about what Yahweh is teaching His people by these laws that provide a means of redeeming um, in this way. And so he, he's going to, we're going to see that He's providing them a way that the dead will not perish. There, there's a hope beyond today that they look forward to in the resurrection, as it were. So as we think about these two redeemers, and we think about two inheritances, let's look at the two redeemers and ask the question, are they both pursuing the same inheritance? And our main idea as we go through this is, seek seek the heavenly inheritance that our worthy redeemer has secured. And there are only going to be two points today. Or four, depending on how you want to break it up. But two main points. Uh, One is looking at our worthy, the the worthy redeemer, and the other is looking at the worthy inheritance. And then each point will break into a contrast between the worthy redeemer and the unworthy redeemer, and the worthy inheritance and the unworthy inheritance. So let's go and consider the first point as we read through uh, verse six in chapter four of Ruth. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, so-and-so, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead. 
in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So we're going to look first here at the idea of there's there's only one worthy Redeemer. And this this first Redeemer that Boaz comes to is unworthy in that he was obligated to be the Redeemer, but failed to redeem. Look at chapter 4. You can see that this... Is Boaz obligated to be the Redeemer? No. 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 Um, Boaz says back in chapter 3 that there's a Redeemer nearer than I to Ruth when she requests him to redeem her, right? Boaz pursues that redemption, sure, but he does so voluntarily. There's no obligation for Boaz to pursue it. But what about this Mr. So-and-so that the author mentions? Or maybe it says friend in your version. Um, What was his obligation He was. He was the redeemer of, of Ruth, Naomi, of Elimelech's name. Yeah. And what is Mr. So-and-so seeking? Can we tell from the text here what he is looking for in being a redeemer? What is what is he going to get? What is he looking for? I think first, it appears that he's interested in the property. Yeah. The land. The land, yeah. So he's 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 willing to take this land, but he's not willing to give up and take a net loss possibly in order to take this land. So where do we see this from this redeemer? How do we know this is the case? So look how quickly he changes uh, his mind there. Boaz mentions that Naomi is selling the parcel of land to our relative Elimelech, right? And then um, Boaz says, so I thought I would mention to you and say, hey, redeem it. And the guy says, okay, I'll redeem it. I'll add this piece of land to my retirement portfolio. But look at how quickly he changes his tune as Boaz adds. (laughs) And this is quite the play from Boaz. We can note he is pursuing the redemption of Ruth. Um, Boaz adds, okay, well, here I just want to let you know this additional detail, the fine print of the contract. You, when you redeem this land, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, uh, in order to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance. And we see then that the Redeemer is anxious to provide redemption when it adds a net benefit to him, right? Um, but what does the family of Elimelech need in a redeemer? A what? An heir. An heir. They need someone who would not seek their own benefit. Because we can see what happens when they find a redeemer who seeks his own benefit. What does 
What happens with Elimelech in that case? With the name in the first redeemer's case? It, it would die out if the first redeemer did not redeem, yeah. Or if a redeemer did not redeem, yep. So, what has this redeemer done for Ruth and Naomi so far? Thinking about the book of Ruth so far. The near the Mr. So and So, let's call him. What has he done so far? Nothing. Yeah. Uh, just think about this. Um, it's a matter of just. It's very interesting. Uh, we see in the book. Do you do you suppose he knew Naomi was in town? Yeah. How how would we tell? Yeah, in chapter 1, is this Naomi? Yep. In uh, chapter 2, what does Boaz say about what he's heard for about Ruth? Remember that? Um, the servant even answers Boaz when he asks who this is. And the servant says, this is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the land of Moab. Um, and then in chapter 3... Uh, what's Boaz say about Ruth in, in, in verse 11 there? All my, yeah, all the people in the town know that you are a worthy woman. Yeah. <clears throat> so we see Mr. So-and-so. He is apparently out to get something for himself. If, oh, not sorry, I should say this differently. <laughs> He's willing to bestow benevolence upon someone else if he gets something for it, right? What's another aspect of this redemption that the Redeemer, that so and so, is not willing to take on, by the way? And it's, if you look through chapter 3. How much does Ruth get referred to as the Moabite? In chapter 3. Yeah. So she's referred to My daughter. Yep, a couple times my daughter at the beginning and the end. As a virtuous or worthy woman. But not as a Moabite. And and in chapter four here in verses one through eleven, right at the middle of what of the text, we have Boaz in chapter five. That's his statement. This says, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. Whammo, basically. Um, and this narrow redeemer backs quickly away from that. Um, anyone, can anyone think of why, why uh, an upstanding, perhaps wealthy Israelite with a good name might shy away from? Yep, uh, in... 
In Israel's past, that's exactly what they did. The Moabite women caused Israel to follow after their false gods and turn away from Yahweh. Yeah. Ruth the Moabite, the cursed Moabites. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, he knew. He knew all along. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the beauty of the Book of Ruth, isn't it? That he knew she was a Moabite the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. How does it? A Moabite who's possibly barren too. Yeah. Raise up the name of the of the um, of Elimelech. Yeah. So it's kind of like Abraham with a servant. Yeah, yeah, the heir would take over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not only does he have to pay the cost of the field initially, but he has to support two widows, plus he has to support any offspring they might have, plus the holdings would go to the heir when he was of age. And he would lose lose his money. He may have already had a wife and children. We don't know, but it's possible because he does talk about impairing his own inheritance. Um, brings up the question of, does Ruth? I mean, does he? What? What's? Like, what about Boaz? Why does the redeemer talk this way? What? What is the redeemer thinking about Boaz? I don't want to do it. You can do it. I, mean, I don't know, but. Um, but anyway, we do see Boaz sucking the Redeemer in, and in the story we think, oh no, don't Redeemer, we want Boaz to redeem Ruth, right? And then whammo, Boaz brings up this, these, these two points. And so, we see, what do we see here? Boaz played things just right, I think. Do we see that at all? Do you see that in the text, how... It leads up to a a climax or a a friction point, and then there's resolution. Not a lot of integrity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to tell if he knew about the laws of redemption, but it seems like people are somewhat familiar with it. To know that it would impair his own inheritance, at least. Yeah. But certainly... Yeah. That had been fashionable in the time of the judges, here and there. Yeah. So, what do we see Boaz doing as he gives this information to the Redeemer. What is Boaz pursuing? Uh, 
he's pursuing that that position as kinsman redeemer. Yeah, and we can come now to the second point on the on the uh, redeemer that the worthy one was not obligated to redeem, but successfully pursued redemption. We'll read verses seven through eleven and a half, eleven a. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. So, Boaz is willing and even as he repeats what he's going to be doing for Ruth, Naomi, Elimelech, he's even joyful in his paying of the price of redemption in order that another might gain from that. Think about what he could have done according to the letter of the law. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the letter versus the spirit of the law. Now, Boaz seems to be operating under a principle of fulfilling the spirit of the law. But what could have Boaz have, what could he have legally done if he wanted to? It would have been, there would have been no shame on him legally. Did he have to redeem? Not exactly, no. Not a law that explicitly said anything about him being required to redeem, especially with a nearer redeemer. Think about chapter 3 when Ruth, Ruth is in, at, at his feet and um, she calls on him to redeem. <clears throat> he could have rebuffed her. He could have sent her away. He could have said, um, no, and this is inappropriate, and go away. Um, but he doesn't. So instead of seeking to preserve his own wealth, and even his own name, in terms of marrying a Moabite, for example. He takes on the responsibility and the cost of preserving Elimelech's name. What are the costs associated? We've talked about them a little already. But for Boaz, what's the cost? He's giving up himself. He's but his life, his inheritance, his wealth, his position and his status with the Moabitess. With the Moabitess and with another, for the sake of another man. He's taking the place of another man. So thinking about that as you come to verse 10, who benefits from this arrangement? Who is the beneficiary of all this uh, as we see it in verse 10? The 
the dead. Who's the dead? Limelech and his sons are the dead. Elimelech, yeah. This is the purpose that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers. Um, I have bought my wife oh, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Um, does anyone have uh, NASB or King James? What's it say for instead of perpetuating the name of the dead? The name of the dead may not be cut off. Is that NASB or? New King James. So, I like. I have a New King James. It says, I require my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead. To perpetuate. What do you got over there, Rex? Do you, you have an older version or no? Okay. Yeah, the. Uh, so, the ESV uses perpetuate. Um, the word, though, it can be translated raised, and I, I prefer that translation, and you'll see it in some versions, the Old King James, the NASB, at least on my computer, that's what they said. Uh, use the word raise up the name of the dead. And so, uh, so keep that in your brain, that idea of raising from the dead, and think about what we've seen here in the book of Ruth Who's being revealed in the book of Ruth, ultimately? Christ. Ultimately, in redemptive history, Christ, who is the image of God, the very same God of this, of Boaz, right? Yeah, we're seeing... We're seeing God revealed in the book of Ruth. And as we look at Boaz and Ruth, and we considered, remember that word, hesed? Uh, Loving kindness, covenant faithfulness. Um, As we look at what Boaz is doing to demonstrate the hesed of God, what are some of the things we've already seen that teach us about God in terms of His Chesed for his people, his loving kindness, his care. His concern for the alien and the widow in the land. Yeah, straight up generosity. Yeah, yeah. Boaz just piles grain on Ruth, right? Redemption provided. Yep. Justice, mercy, walk humbly. Yeah. Rather than hoarding his grain and denying it to the Moabitess, he piles it on her. Rather than shunning Ruth when she came to him at the threshing floor, he he recognizes that he might be that answer to the prayer or to the blessing that he gave her in chapter 2 when he said, for you've come under the wings of Yahweh, right? The wing of Yahweh. And she, she says, cover me with your wing. He directly calls her my daughter, right? Yeah. 
so as we contrast those two redeemers, now let's move to looking at the two inheritances that they were looking at. Two perspectives, let's call it, but that's probably the wrong word. So there's, the second point is there's only one worthy inheritance or one inheritance that's worth con- thinking about, hoping for. And so we'll look first at the unworthy inheritance, which would be the earthly inheritance. And the question is, do both men seek the same thing in what they're redeeming? I've kind of answered this in part, but... The the comparison between Mr. So-and-so and and Boaz, yeah. Okay. So do both men, are they both seeking the same thing? No. Yeah. What are, what are, what, so think again about the Redeemer's reaction, right? And what does his reaction tell us that he was seeking? Yeah, stuff is for himself. A feather in his cap, money in his wallet, food in his granary. Etc. Think about the Redeemer's response to Boaz. When Boaz says, hey, you can redeem Ruth and get the land, he says, okay, I'll redeem. And then Boaz adds this part about, on that day that you acquire the land, you'll acquire Ruth the Moabite in order to raise up the name of the dead in his inheritance. Uh, The Redeemer's reaction is, what is it? Oh, yeah, I know. This is one of the great works of Hesed that Yahweh has given us to perform for the sake of our brothers so that their names may not perish from the land. That's the Redeemer's response, right? The Mr. So-and-so. No. What's his response? Run away screaming almost. And so what is the inheritance sought by that nearer Redeemer, so-and-so? Short-term. Temporal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his property, his lands, his produce, um, himself maybe. <clears throat> and what was uh, then in his mind that he was going to be redeeming at first? What was in his mind that he was going to be redeeming? Exactly, just property, Elimelech's property. Yeah, and which would pass to him. Naomi's beyond childbearing years. Presumably, that property would be. His, when Naomi passed on, um, and it would remain in his possession. So think about this uh, now. As the earth passes away, so the Redeemer's, the nameless Redeemer passes away. Think about the names here in chapter 4. Um so the word translated friend in the ESV is translated so-and-so in other versions. Does anybody have a different word for the Redeemer's name? Such a one. Yeah. Such a one. His name is never mentioned. Yeah. And the word is like, like hocus pocus, phony baloney. It's kind of a word that doesn't mean anything, but it means it's used kind of in, in one of the kings says such and such a place a couple times. It's it means nothing worth mentioning. Irrelevant. Irrelevant, irrelevant and unimportant and well, you, you think about the 
that's so-and-so. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't call you so-and-so, but... Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, so-and-so, what is, that, what is that telling us here? What is the author of the book Ruth, of Ruth telling us about that Redeemer and what he's done? Is, is, it, is this telling us that this Redeemer... Is he simply trying to save the Redeemer from shame, perhaps? Was the shameful thing? Yeah, and and a shameful thing would indicate <laughs> that maybe judgment was due for <laughs> that shameful thing. No. Yeah. As as soon as the earth that he stands on passes away with him in it, buried in the ground, so his name passes away. Yeah. Yeah, so what he, what he was saying is that the Mr. So-and-so was doing it in a very selfful way that resulted in his name passing away. Boaz was giving himself up for the sake of the name of another, which results in, well, he's mentioned in Matthew 1, verse 5, I think, as one of the ancestors of Christ. Um, so... Let's switch into thinking about that inheritance that Boaz is looking to. The worthy inheritance is the heavenly inheritance. So, again, who benefits from uh, the redemption that Boaz undertakes? What's that? Literally, Naomi and Ruth, especially, verse 10, the name of Elimelech being raised up. Yeah, yeah. another man benefits. And the law here is given, you know, there's not one single law that explains what's going on in Ruth, by the way. We've talked about it a little bit. We piece it together from Leviticus, from Deuteronomy, um, from Genesis 38, where Tamar tricks Judah into providing her an offspring because his sons would not. Um, so here in Ruth, we see this principle of perpetuating the name of the dead. Uh, what Does anyone have an idea of what that is teaching us? What is, why is this in Scripture? Why, why does God give this law to his people? What is he teaching them about? Systematic theology. Raising up the name of the dead. 
Yeah. Yeah. Resurrection. Ezekiel 16, that's a great text to think about, too. That's the one where he picks her up, washes her, etc. When she comes of age, he marries her. Okay. Yeah. The believer's name's written in heaven, yeah, the book of life. Um, Moses refers to that in uh, Exodus 32. Yeah. Yeah, resurrection. So it's meant to teach them to look forward to the resurrection from the dead. So it's it's really a foreshadowing of this of this resurrection. And as we see Boaz doing this act of Hesed, of redeeming um, for Ruth, Naomi, for Elimelech. We see him looking forward in anticipation of something. Remember that promise in Genesis 3 about the seed promise. It's one that we probably hear about a lot and think about a lot. And I think it's one that the... uh, How how much do you think that especially Israel thought about this promise, but uh, as we see it in Scripture, mentioned a few times, I think, right? Patriarchs are promised a spring, the, the uh, uh, offspring. Um, we see David promised an offspring. We see looking forward to an offspring within the genealogies that are kept in the Old Testament. And so they're looking forward to this promised seed who would crush the head of the serpent and conquer sin and death for them, right? The Gentiles being brought in. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Mm-hmm. A yeah. In chapter 2, she, that's part of her humility is saying, I'm a nobody, I'm a foreigner, I'm worse than a nobody, I'm a Moabite. Why do you take notice of me? Yeah. And here in chapter 4, We'll actually get to that next week, but if you look here, uh, the the blessing that the elders place upon them, you can see Ruth there fully accepted into the house of Israel as as a just like Rachel, Leah, or Leah. My cousin's name is Leah, so my wife and I have a discussion on how to pronounce that name. But um, Rachel, Leah, and Tamar and Perez, as she bore Perez, that she's legitimate. Why is she legitimate? What is, and this, this, this goes back, let's just consider this for fun, because um, it's, it's a point of interest. Why is Ruth legitimized here? What has Boaz, the worthy redeemer, done that the unworthy redeemer was unwilling to do that makes Ruth a legitimate Israelite. So if we think back on chapter 3, what what did Naomi not do? Think about the contrast between these two chapters. Okay. You have go quietly, be secret, uh, don't let a woman don't let it be known a woman came to the threshing floor in the darkness of night, these happenings. 
And Boaz says, no. There's a Redeemer closer than I. Go. I will take this up. And pretty much it looks like he took it up right that morning, sat down at the gate, waited for that Redeemer to come by. But what is what is happening here that makes this at the gate in chapter 4 so much better than what Naomi had planned in chapter 3? Legitimizing it. Yeah. Yeah. What do we have in chapter 1 or, or verse 1 and verse 11, I think, right? The, uh, uh, verse 2 and verse 11, right? That's kind of what you're saying. The witnesses? Yeah, the elders. The elders. Plus all the people that had gathered to witness this. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a contrast between doing something in a hidden way versus doing something in a way that there are witnesses, there are notaries, as it were. What else is there? She becomes part of the family. She does, yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah, adopted as heirs. Yeah. Um, and thinking about how we're brought into God's family through our Redeemer, uh, what did he have to do perfectly without failing? Obey the law. Keep the law to its letter. Um, and let's consider this. So we have two, two Redeemers, right? We have one guy, Mr. So-and-so who's out for himself. But in a way, he's no different than those people that he needs to redeem who have gone to Moab for themselves, who have um, tried to get grain for themselves. Working for himself is what this Redeemer is doing. Contrast that with the other Redeemer, Boaz, working for others at the cost of himself. Um, Think about Elimelech, poor old dead Elimelech. What can he do to raise up his name? Nothing. Nothing without a Redeemer who's willing to take on the cost to raise up his name. And that that one so-and-so doesn't do it. What does Boaz do? He does it at his own cost, willingly, voluntarily. Yeah. So in thinking about that, what it, it sounds a little like to me the two Adams. And I look, I, I printed out 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty one through um, 26 in thinking about this. Um, it says, For as by a man came death, by a man, sorry, by a, by a man came death, comma, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and, and power. And think about the uh, seed promise and crushing and stuff under his feet. Um, for he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed 
is death. And we see in Isaiah too, taking an Old Testament passage too, Isaiah 25, 8, um, says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. What is this inheritance then that is contrasted to the temporal earthly inheritance? What is this heavenly inheritance? Eternal and unfading. Yeah. Consider the name of Mr. So and so versus the name of the offspring who came and humbled himself and was therefore exalted and given a name above every name. Yeah. So as we conclude, does anyone remember what my main idea was? It's okay if you don't. I'll tell you. <laughs> That's, it was this. Uh, seek the heavenly inheritance that our worthy Redeemer has secured. And so, uh, just tracing, how did we get there from this text? And there are other th- places we could have gone with this text. You brought up Ruth the Moabite being brought in. I could have done a whole lesson on that, and I might still do a whole lesson on that. Who knows? But, but in thinking about redemption and inheritance, what? How do we arrive at seek the heavenly inheritance that our worthy Redeemer has secured from this text? So I, I just want to kind of trace out what I saw here in terms of those points. So I saw redeemers spoken of, and I saw inheritance spoken of. So we saw the one Redeemer who was acting in an unworthy manner, the so-and-so, and Boaz who acted in a worthy manner, performing an act of redemption that raised up the name of Elimelech who was dead. And these two guys were looking for two different inheritances. So we consider a heavenly inheritance, but we also look forward sometimes to things that are not heavenly and they tend to disappoint us. The heavenly inheritance that Boaz sought will last into eternity. Well, the one that the Redeemer sought. Yeah, you aren't here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. There's no translation. It's I think it's Poloni Alimony or something like that. Poloni Alimony or I don't know. So when I did the translating in my project, I, I translated it so and so friend. But recently doing this lesson, I took out the word friend. I just put so and so. And and in Kings, it does say such and such a place. That's kind of the word for such and such. That's it's the same. Yeah, it is indeterminate. It's, it's, it's. There's nothing. It's ethereal. I don't know. Yeah, no. The point is, he's, 
Mr. Draper. It's even worse. It's even excluding this person from being named more so than those other sons and daughters. Yeah. Yeah. As far as what I could tell. Yeah. Isn't it sort of a judgment on importance? Can you tell the story where you want to hear about down unimportant details? Say you're going to such and such a place, right? Right. If you say, say you're going to Phoenix, they're like, why am I going to Phoenix? Okay. It doesn't matter. It's not Phoenix. It's Tucson. But why Tucson? Yeah. Yeah. Unimportant. Doesn't matter. Don't worry about him. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think we better end. Let's end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this redemption that you have worked in Christ and pray that you would draw our eyes to the heavenly inheritance that you have prepared for us. And it's in his name we come to you. Amen.